Hello, and welcome to episode 51 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. Today's guest is Krister Ungerbach. Krister is a keynote speaker, CEO coach, and expert in the language of leadership. Prior to retiring at age 42, Krister was the award-winning CEO of one of the largest family-owned software companies in the world. His expertise in the language of leadership is based upon his unique experience as a global CEO, leading teams in three languages while observing and doing business with executives in over 40 countries, building businesses in six, and living in three. His upcoming book, The Language of Leadership, Words to Transform How We Live, Love, and Lead, will be published this year. Krister and I talk about what leadership language actually means and how you can change your leadership style and team member experience through the language you use. We get into the power of positivity, how to listen like a leader, and how to cultivate empathy and your emotional intelligence. Now here's our conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Krister, it is really a pleasure to have you today. I am super excited about your book that either is about to come out or just came out, but I'm just really excited to read it, especially because it's all about languages and the language of leadership, which I've never thought of leadership as a language. And so I'm excited to learn more about this whole work you're doing now on this podcast, as well as when I get to read the book. Mamie, it's great to be here. I'm excited to, you know, I'm a former tech CEO, so I consider myself a modern manager. <laughs> ah, I love it. Love it. All right. Why don't we start with this whole premise of the languages of leadership and what, what that means? Because again, like I said, I've never heard that phrase before. And so why don't you unpack it for us? So yeah, so the language of leadership was really informed. I was a CEO of a global company, a software company, and I was fortunate to learn French and German as an adult. So in my late 20s and early 30s. And most people, when they learn a language, we learn it when we're kids or in high school or whatever. It's kind of an unconscious process. And we don't learn business language. We learn like, you know, donde esta la biblioteca? Where's the, where's the library, right? Which doesn't really do much good in talking to executives in Germany or whatever, or even Spain for that matter. So it, it, the interesting thing of learning two languages, it was a really analytical process. And I was fortunate to have one of the best French teachers in the world who helped me to kind of break that down and accelerate my learning. And so the language of leadership is really taking those lessons that I learned to learn foreign languages to helping leaders learn a new language of leadership in a very practical and uh, inefficient way. So first of all, I am currently relearning French. So I am feeling that whole thing of like, how do I actually learn French that is useful and not just how to say like, can I, I would like a glass of wine, which is useful in some cases, but not always. Yeah. But um, what does this mean then to think of leadership as a language? Because the, the premise you, you started with makes a lot of sense. And I'm trying to think now, how do I actually interpret that? as a leader? What does that mean I do differently or, or I'm learning differently? Yeah. So, well, one, one point of context. So I was a, I was a tech person. So it naturally, somebody who is raised as a software engineer, I started programming when I was 12. So my first programming language I learned when I was 12. 
emotional intelligence was probably not one of my strong points. So my, what I found is that over my time in leadership is there was a point in about 2011 where I realized that kind of my heart was in the right place, but my words were not. And so that was when I really started to change my English language. I had learned French and German by this point. And I started to say, well, how, how do I need to change my English words to be more impactful as a leader? And so I don't know if you remember those Mad Libs, you know, it was like this kid's game where you fill in the blanks. Oh, and yeah. for me, as an engineer, kind of analytical person, I really wanted to have like a really, you know, almost like training wheels for a new language of leadership. So a lot of what the language of leadership is, it's say it this way, fill in the blanks, say it, don't say it that way, like eliminate these words from your vocabulary and, you know, use these words. And that gave me a framework that was very practical to follow. Again, I call it like training wheels. Like, you know, initially I just used those scripts to speak differently in a more powerful way. And then over time, the interesting thing about the language of leadership is, you know, I think a lot of people say you, you kind of, if your heart's in the right place, then the words will naturally come out. But that's not actually always true. But the interesting thing is when you change the way you speak, you can actually change your heart from the outside in. But the, the good part about it is if I just change the words that I use, then I'll have an immediate impact on the, the people around me in terms of how they respond to my, to my leadership. So I had a colleague who used to say that words make worlds. And I think what you're saying is absolutely true. The way that you say something, the specific words you choose actually make a difference in how others respond and hear what you're saying. So even if the meaning is the same in both ways you could say it, the reception of that meaning is is totally different depending on the words you choose. So I love that you're getting really specific about how you say something matters. Yeah. I, so I have a funny story on that. Is uh, So I was at my first time trying to speak French in a business setting. I was at the Cannes Film Festival and I was doing a three-day workshop and I said, ah, I just I did six years of French in high school. I just need to get out there. They don't speak English and I'll just talk to them. I did uh, three days and I thought it went pretty well. And uh, I got a call from my uh, French salesperson on Monday morning and he said, Christian, I don't know how to tell you this, but they said, don't ever send that guy back here. Oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went to my French teacher immediately. And he goes, well, what did you say? And I told him what I said in French. And he said, Christian, let me just tell you what you just told these people for three days. He said, you must click that button. You must do this. You must do that. And I was like, ooh, I can see why they don't want me to come back. And so what we did is we kind of got really specific with the words. Like, and I was like, well, so if I wanted to say that from like really soft to really direct, how would I do that? And that, that was kind of where this language of leadership was born was, you know, use these three words to introduce it if you want to say it softly and use these three words like you must if you want to say it in a more direct and concrete way. Oh, that's such a great story. I, I feel like I have similar kinds of experiences in my, my history with French language. Let's talk about one of the specific languages that you talk about in the book. So let's talk about the language of encouragement. What is this? Yeah. So as a leader, I was always a fairly critical leader up until maybe about 2011. And I met a man who is a mentor of mine. His name's Bob Chapman. He's the CEO of a company called Barry Waymiller. I think uh, a year or two ago, he was actually named one of Inc.'s like, most influential CEOs by Inc. Magazine. And I saw his TED, TEDx talk, and he had the, he's had this phrase that he said, so Bob, uh, Barry Waymiller is like a $3 billion company, family-owned company. And he 
He said, have you ever worked for an organization where you do 10 things right and you never hear a word and you do one thing wrong and you never hear the end of it? And it, those words just hit me because I said, oh my God, that's actually the kind of leader that I've been. And so, yeah, I was one of those leaders, like let's stack rank people. And then the people at the bottom will be shamed into, they'll be shamed into good performance. And so we, we, we did an experiment to, to, you know, let's lead with positivity. And like, you know, my, my premise was how can we power productivity with positivity? So I, I actually went to our customer service department because it's an easy, easily measurable job. And I said, let's, you know, we're going to measure people on how many calls, successful customer service calls they have per, per day or per week. But what we're going to do is we're just each week, we're going to have a short 15 minute celebration or maybe five minutes. And we're just going to call out and recognize the people who are at the top of the department. So we're going to recognize through positivity and say, hey, we're encouraging the people who are getting the most calls closed. But then, then that, that, was, that was okay. But then people started saying, well, I, do a diff- I deal with different customers, so I can't be at the top because there's some people are dealing with simpler issues and I'm dealing with the more complex ones, so I'm not going to get as many done. So we said, you know, let's take a, a page out of like a marathon, you know, a runner's book and we'll say, we're going to celebrate anytime you get a personal record. So maybe your best performance is five calls per week. If you get six calls per week, we're going to celebrate the fact that you got a personal record. And so we're not going to judge you against your peers. We're simply going to judge you against yourself, your own best performance. And we're going to ask you to do better than your best every week, every month. And so, you know, and then we, our top performers started going from five to six to seven. But then we said, okay, now we're going to also give you personal best for your best month. So you string four weeks together of bests, then now that's, you know, 20 per month or whatever. And so what this did is we made no other significant changes to this department and our productivity in the department went up 20% over a six month period, simply by celebrating the positive. Wow. And, uh, so I think that this was just a, for me, I mean, again, we started as an experiment, just wondering where is it going to go? And uh, that was the moment that I, you know, I was convinced that leading with positivity is uh, a much better, you know, way. The cool thing was, is that you also get, you know, when you stack rank people and you tell people who's the best or whatever, you, you get this competitive nature. But when I get people just competing against their own personal best, then I take away their excuses. You know, salespeople, for example, the bottom salesperson is going to be like, oh, the top sales guy, he's got a better territory than me. Like, I don't, I don't want to talk about whether he's got a better territory than you. I just want to talk about, I want you to be a better you this week than you were last week. That, that's all I want. And so it's, it's a, just a different way of changing the conversation with employees uh, to drive productivity. That is amazing. And I love that you were able to make it about the individual and not competitive with each other because it's something that I see in other teams too, where when people are competing against each other, they, especially if it's a collaborative environment, they actually stop working together as well because they want to demonstrate their value. But when you make it yeah. about yourself and being your best self, that's a different kind of positivity, different kind of celebration that you can actually build collaboration off of. So super yeah. cool. Now on that, on that thing, the other thing is like, we would also celebrate the team high, you know, so the, to create a collaborative environment. So, you know, that's where we'd throw the pizza party when we get a thousand calls done in a week, you know, and, you know, then we go to 1100 or whatever. 
that would be where we'd set goals to push the collaborative nature. But then the other, this is another little tip is it's important when you're doing those kind of personal best is pick a metric that can always be increased. So like a uh, percent of customers satisfied, the max you can get to is a hundred percent, right? So that's not a really good thing to celebrate because what do you do with the people who are already at a hundred percent? So make it a quantitative measure that people can constantly get better at. And, and of course the team, the team's performance will always get better, even if you add people to the team. So there's always something to celebrate. Nice. All right. Let's talk about another one of the languages. Let's talk about the language of listening. Yes. It's one of my favorite ones. The one that I was probably the worst at for so, so long in my career. So I talk about the language of leadership in the context of this. I talk about the difference between the language of leadership and the language of management. And what I found, so I joined our company as like the 14th, 15th employee, and we grew 3000% over the time that I was there to hundreds of employees in eight countries. And what I found is, you know, as I was CEO, the, there was a very different leadership style that was required to lead a team of more than 15 people than to be successful of a smaller team, a team especially smaller than 10. And so this for me is the, what I differentiate between the language of management, which is managing a team of five to 10 to 15 people is kind of the upper bound. And then above 15 is really what I would call the language of leadership. And the interesting thing that I found in my personal experience is the thing that makes us successful managers of a 10-person team is often the thing that made me unsuccessful in leading teams that are larger. And fundamentally, it kind of comes down to this language of listening. So a, a leader or a manager of a team of 10 often leads with answers, right? But if I'm leading a company or a department or division of 200 people or more, there is no possible way that I can lead with answers because there's 200 people who have questions. So what I found is questions lead, answers follow. And are you leading with questions or are you following with answers, right? So even if you only manage a team of 10 people, if you want to get home and shut off your email at 6 p.m. and until 8 a.m. the next day, then it is so much more efficient to lead with questions than lead with answers. So I, I came up with this fun, <laughs> fun experiment that I call the magic management eight ball challenge. So you remember those, you know, the old eight ball toy, you ask it a question, you shake it, and then, it, you know, it's got a little thing in there and tells you the answer. Yes, no, maybe kind of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. So what I found is that you can actually do the same thing with questions. And this is why leading with questions is so much more efficient than leading with answers. If I'm going as a leader into a meeting and I'm thinking about what I'm going to say and all the things I'm going to tell people or all the answers I'm going to give, that takes a lot of mental energy and a lot of time. But if I think about by just thinking what what questions am I going to ask, it takes a fraction of the amount of time to prepare. And this is the reason is because these questions are often the same ones. So something like, what outcomes are you considering? What, you know, what options would you recommend? You know, what's the biggest challenge that's facing our team today? And you can just go around the room and let everyone else talk. Everyone feels like they're involved in the solution. So the magic management eight ball challenge is, I have uh, on my website, like 10 questions, you can print them out and you could literally like close your eyes, put your finger down and be like, ah, I'm going to ask that question. 
And the thing is, it's just a, it's just an incredible way of changing our assumptions around asking questions versus giving answers. And then you can ask your team, Hey, how did this meeting work for you? Did you think it was more effective than our past meetings where I've been giving all the answers or no? So this concept of kind of asking questions, I say, I say that the, the secret to listening is actually talking. And that this is one of the things that I also learned while learning languages. So I learned French and German, but I was doing business in over 40 countries. So often I would give sales presentations to teams speaking languages I didn't even understand. So, you know, if you're in the United Arab, Arab Emirates and they're speaking Arabic or in uh, Hong Kong and people are speaking Cantonese, we would speak to them in English and sometimes we'd have a translator or whatever. But when they would speak amongst themselves, these executives would be speaking in, in Mandarin, right? Or Swedish or any number of, you know, 15 other languages. And so I just got to observe intently just how did they interact? What was their inflection? And it was interesting because, you know, if you know German, you can pick out words in Dutch or Swedish because there's some common roots. And I could pick out just a little bit of like what they were saying. And that's where I found that the really good leaders were leading more with questions. And so it took me a bit to kind of really adopt this myself. And when I really reflected upon why it took me so long is in the early days, I didn't really think people had anything interesting to say. You know, I thought my ideas were probably better because I was in many cases, I had been, uh, I had been an expert with the company for longer or whatever. And so somebody challenged me and said, you know, if you're not interested in what the other person is trying to say, then maybe that's your fault as the leader, because you're not asking questions that you're dying to know the answer to, which I was like, wow, yeah, you know, and so, so I started looking back at my questions and I realized I was asking a lot of yes, no questions or ideas disguised as questions like, Mamie, have you considered doing this? Yeah. And so I started changing my questions and I started getting more interesting responses that were more intriguing to listen to. I know that your listeners are all about practical tips. So one very simple technique is if you want to change your questions, just make sure every single one of your questions starts with the word what or how. And if you start a question with the word what or how, it is much more difficult to ask a question that's closed-ended or kind of, you know, one that has a more boring answer because it's, it's always an open-ended question. Oh, that is a great tip. And I am also a huge fan of questions, but you're totally right that if you think that you have all the answers, you're just much less likely to ask questions. And when you come into the room and you, you say, I bet there are people in this room, or at least I hope there are people in this room, who've thought about this more deeply than I have because it's what they're doing every day, who have expertise beyond what I'm bringing into the space. They probably have better ideas or new ideas or different ideas than what I can think of. And being open to that and asking for people to share their thinking, you actually find better solutions. And as a manager, I love that it puts gets me off the hook, right? I don't have to have all the answers anymore. I can... I can look to my team to say we collectively can have the answers. It's not my job to always show up with the solution. Yeah, I would say uh, better questions are the key to work-life balance. You know, if you're leading with answers, you will never have balance in your life. 
you're, you're kind of made me think of a story. So the first time I ever did a sales presentation was in Paris. I was at the Palais de Congrès de Paris. And uh, there's all these like 12 people in the room. They're speaking French, smoking. There's like a cloud of smoke <laughs> at the top of the conference room. And uh, at the end of the meeting, it was like an eight hour meeting, mostly led by uh, my you know, native French speaking counterpart who worked for me. And we got out of the meeting and this guy, Pierre Jean, I uh, was stepping onto the elevator and he goes, Christer, your French is excellent. And the elevator doors closed and I just started busted out laughing. And I said to the guy, I said, Julien, I didn't speak for more than five minutes the entire day. How can he say that my French is excellent? And so it was a tip that I uh, learned from my French teacher. He said, one way to get through conversations, you know, is you just pick one word out of whatever they said. Right. So you maybe say, oh, it's been snowing today here. And I say snowing with just a kind of a questioning tone. And so, you know, it was again, it was just a way of kind of picking out. You know, I imagine like a salesperson example, like Bob's not selling. Bob's not selling. Well, he's not been trained. Oh, he hasn't been trained. You know, so you could simply just repeat what the person said with a questioning tone at the end. And it can make for often much more engaging conversation than giving answers. That is a fantastic tip. I love it. My go-to is always, oh, tell me more. And even though it's not framed as a question, it's the invitation for them to basically respond in any way they want. And whenever I'm not sure what to say in a a situation or I want to ask a question, but I haven't formulated the specific in my head, I just respond with, Oh, tell me more. And it's amazing what people will tell you. Yeah, exactly. I think the tell me more. And like in the book, I talk about, you know, that's actually one of the examples when you, people start to catch on if you say, tell me more too many times. So you got to have some other, you know, a couple more to mix in, like interesting or hmm, huh, interesting. <laughs> anyway, different techniques. Uh, Cause you know, all of our people are always looking at us like, ah, oh, you know, he, he's speaking differently. I, have you heard him say, tell me more like a lot the last couple of days? You gotta, you gotta have a couple tools to mix it up. So, you know, it takes longer for people to figure it out. Oh yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I want to get to one more language because these are just so fantastic. So let's talk about the language of emotional intelligence, because this is something I will just speak for myself. I am an ENTJ. I love Myers-Briggs. I'm a thinker. But I have learned how to be more aware of the feelers in the world and the emotional needs of colleagues and friends and family. So emotional intelligence, it's so important. And I have definitely learned some of these skills by osmosis, I think. But what do you have to say about this? So this is the challenge, like, you know, most, most of the stuff on emotional intelligence kind of gives you very conceptual, fuzzy, kind of learn by osmosis kind of stuff. And and I had first read Daniel Goleman's Emotional Intelligence, like when it first came out 20 years ago. And I was kind of like you, I'm an ENTJ, INTJ. So I was kind of not the most emotionally intelligent person. And so in the past three or four years, since I retired at age 42 from CEO, I've really been looking for like, how do I really improve my emotional intelligence? There's got to be a language behind this. So I found myself, I started looking a little bit outside of the traditional business press because I'd read so many business books that I was like, maybe the answer is just not here. So I found myself in New York City, sitting across from a man named Daryl. And Daryl is talking to me at a workshop about emotional intelligence. And he's talking to me about his feelings. He's this like heavily tatted guy, big muscular, you know, and he's talking about his feelings about being released from maximum security prison after spending 20 years 
in maximum security prison for murder. And he's telling me about the language that transformed his life and got him out of the hole in solitary confinement. And ultimately, you know, six or seven years later led to him being released from prison. Now, surprisingly, it's actually the same language that in some circles is credited with Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella's transformation of the culture at Microsoft, where he created 200 billion in shareholder value in four years. And it's based on a book that was written by a peace activist in the 1960s of all things. It's never been on any bestseller charts. If you search Harvard Business Review, you won't find a single reference to this book. Part of the reason is because it's got this terrible title that was from like 1960s peace activist stuff. But the language of the book, the book today, if it was kind of retitled appropriately, would be the language of empathy. And in similar to language of leadership style, what I loved about it is the author who died a couple of years ago says, if we want to learn empathy and which is a key element of emotional intelligence is what we do is we start to make empathy guesses. And he gave very specific fill in the blanks approach for how to make empathy guesses. And that for me was what honestly changed my emotional intelligence. So he says, it works like this. Mamie, I'm guessing that you're feeling scared or afraid because you're needing more safety, right? So the, the stem is, I'm guessing that you are feeling, insert the blank, is a feeling or emotion word because you are needing fill in the blank of some need. Now, his premise is that when we listen to people, we should not listen for their words. We should listen for their needs. So imagine that person in the meeting, and you know, I'll know who they are, the one who talks and takes all the airtime. If I'm listening not to their words, I'm listening to their needs. What are they needing? Are they needing more appreciation? Are they needing recognition? By the same token, that manager who's got a line out of their, you know, line of people outside of their office with questions, and they've got a hundred emails in their inbox waiting answers because everyone is dependent on that person for having the answers. What is that manager needing? Are they needing recognition? Are they needing some kind of self-esteem that comes out of being the person with the answers? So this stem, now I wouldn't use those words because you know, using the word "I'm guessing" and "feeling" and "needs" in a business context doesn't, you know, doesn't work as well. So you won't find this in that book. But rather than say, it's like, I wonder if you are afraid. Insert the emotion word because you want more in safety. Insert the need word. And there's a kind of a whole thing behind it, like what are the right emotion words and what some needs are some emotion words like abandoned or betrayed. These are not really emotions. They're judgmental language that puts people on defensive. So there's a lot of nuance behind it. But here's what happens is, let's say I'm the least emotionally intelligent person on the planet. And maybe you and I are working together. So we're kind of communicating on a regular basis. I start making these empathy guesses, right? And what happens is if I, if I use the language of empathy in the right way, and as I said, there are a lot of nuances there, but if I use the language of empathy in the right way, then you'll correct me and you'll say, you know, Christian, you know, I, you know, I'm not feeling afraid. I'm just feeling frustrated. You know, I don't think I really need safety. I think I need, uh, I need more direction. So what happens is essentially I'm learning to be more emotionally attuned to your needs and feelings through a process of trial and error. 
if I do a hundred empathy guesses, then you can imagine that my 101st empathy guess with you is probably going to be a lot better than the first one. But the other thing is that I end up getting better at guessing people's emotions and needs, everyone else's as well, because people are all kind of at the core, very similar. So that was really the power for me of just, it was, gave me a really practical nuts and bolts, fill in the blanks framework for becoming a more emotionally attuned leader. This is fantastic in so many ways, just the way to be able to practice emotional intelligence and also open up conversations with people instead of jumping to conclusions and saying, oh, that person's being difficult or I don't understand why this person's not doing these things I need them to do on my team. To be able to, to have a conversation and use language that is comfortable, that that is, as you say, it kind of opens up and they'll correct you. So you don't have to make assumptions. You can now use it in conversation is just so powerful. We are coming to the end. So why don't you tell everybody where they can learn more about you and your work and your book and all that good stuff? The easiest way to find me is uh, my first name's Krister with a K, Krister.com. And you can follow me on LinkedIn. If you want to go to meetchrister.com, it will uh, redirect you automatically to my LinkedIn page. And I'd love to connect. Fantastic. We'll put all the links and everything in the show notes as well. So thank you so much. I, again, cannot wait to read the whole book because there's just so much good stuff in there. I can tell just from the conversation we've had, we've only scratched the surface. All right. Thank you, Mamie. It was been a, it's been a great conversation. I just loved Krister's focus on positivity and celebrating wins. If you want more insights and useful tools from Krister, join the Modern Manager community on Patreon. Krister has shared four awesome tools, including a leadership assessment, but they are only available to members. So go to patreon.com slash modern manager. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash modern manager, where you can join and get those awesome bonuses from Krister and many other great things. All of the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter, which you can find at mamieks.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team. I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at MamieKS.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.